All right, people, we are live. And like always, we start with the theme music. What's up, everybody? Today, stream, or actually tonight, stream, we'll be dedicating to one of our one of our few great, great black leaders that came out out of nineteenth, going on to the twentieth century, and the works he did back a hundred and hundred and four years ago has shown prevalence even today's world we live in today. And mind you, Marcus Garvey, if y'all know, was a man, a byproduct of Jamaica, born and raised in Jamaica, then traveled outside the world during his late teens, going to his 20s, and came to America in 1916. Um, for those that are listening for the first time, thank you. And like always, if you're coming into the stream, please like the video as you come in. Um, also, at the end of every stream, please leave a comment, thought stealings on every stream that you've seen, including this one. And if you're not subscribed to Chaos Rain, please don't be hesitant. Hit that subscribe and hit that bell for notifications for up and coming live streams. Um, and also, the Cash App's also on the description after every video. So what I'm about to do today is I'm going to play the lectures of Marcus Garvey so people could have a better feel understanding of him, of his life and his tribulations. So no further ado, I'll run the audio. Enjoy. Great prophet, teacher, and leader. The date of this modern miracle was August 17, 1887. Garvey was a man who, in retrospect, was far ahead of his time. This is clearly proven by the fact that his ideologies have resurfaced today and could be considered a major factor in the liberation of African peoples the world over. He sought to revive the spirit of black people from despair to hope, from lethargy to positive action, from fear to courage, from inertia to assertiveness, from anti-discrimination dodges to manly confrontation. He gave them goals possible to man, 
the highest creation of God because he believed with all his heart in the innate abilities of the African race. On August 1st, 1914, Garvey launched the Universal Negro Improvement Association and African Communities League in Jamaica, an organization to advocate the unity and blending of all Negroes into one strong, healthy race. After the First World War, there was a resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan influence in the United States. Another decade of racial hatred and open lawlessness had set in, in which Negroes were again prominent among the victims. African people were by this time more than ready for a Moses, and only a black man could express the depth of their feelings. Marcus Garvey settled that question for thousands by forming the U.S. branch of the UNIA and ACL in June 1917. On June 10, 1940, at the age of 53, Marcus Messiah Garvey died in London of a severe stroke without having set foot in Africa. But his impact there was tremendous. He left a rich legacy of history for us to study and utilize in our continued quest for independence and liberation as a people. is one of the branches of the human race. As a section of humanity, he occupies a position in a world at the present time most unfavorable and most uncomfortable. The black people are subjects of ostracism. It is sad that our humanity has shown us no more love, no greater sympathy than we are experiencing. Wheresoever you go throughout the world, the black man is discarded, is ostracized, is relegated to the lowest in things, social, political, and economical. This therefore suggests a problem and one that must be solved. We in this section of the world are not entirely free from this unkind, unsympathetic, and uncharitable behavior of the groups or races around us. But since man has been placed on his own responsibility, whether he be black, white, or yellow, he must act on his own account. We will not unduly whine or complain, but reason among ourselves and see what can be done to remedy this state of affairs. Life is a conflict. You have to fight your way through it, whether you will it or not. Those of us who are able to fight most stubbornly live, accomplish most, and to them go the laurels, the palms, and triumph of our civilization and world. We unfortunately have not been trained or educated in the truths of life, paradoxically so. He has shown us no more love, no greater sympathy than we are experiencing. Wheresoever you go throughout the world, the black man is discarded, is ostracized, is relegated to the lowest in things, social, political, and economical. This therefore suggests a problem and one that must be solved. We in this section of the world are not entirely free from this unkind, unsympathetic, and uncharitable behavior of the groups or races around us. But since man has been placed on his own responsibility, whether he be black, white, or yellow, he must act on his own account. We will not unduly whine or complain, but reason among ourselves and see what can be done to remedy this state of affairs. Life is a conflict. You have to fight your way through it, whether you will it or not. Those of us who are paradoxically so. May I say something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours. Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. Man should understand himself because man is full of knowledge and this knowledge is a gift of nature. When Mother Nature created man, she deprived him of nothing. He was given the faculty of understanding all things around him. 
This faculty for understanding has not been taken away from him. None of his senses have been taken away from him. So there is no excuse for the black man in lacking the knowledge that man is used to beautify the world and produce all that he needs for his happiness and civilization. Look the world over and whatever you see in it that is pleasing to man, contributing to man's comfort, to his needs and to his satisfaction, it is but the work of man. Man blessed with the knowledge of himself and the understanding of all things around him. If you are able to live with the knowledge of yourself and with the greater knowledge of nature, you must know what is good and what is not. You must know what is finite. You must know that which is material, physical and otherwise is at your disposal to create or otherwise use. If we leave America and go over to the east to Japan, they will be telling their fellow citizens of Japan of the wonderful accomplishments of the Japanese people, proving that man is moving onward as time moves on. But you, you have hated yourselves as you have done in previous years. You have shown malice, prejudice, and hate to each other. And the result is that while other races have made progress, while India has made progress towards nationalism, while Ireland has made progress towards republicanism, while the whole world has made progress in man's accomplishments, you still stand fighting yourselves, dishonoring yourselves, showing no disposition toward that higher life so that you will be abundantly blessed. So reflect and think that you were created for some purpose other than exhibiting malice toward your neighbor or fellow men of your own race. What a pity it is that we cannot stand united without a written law. There is no written law compelling other races to stand together. They are brought together by the gentle touch of nature. The unwritten law of nature causes them to stand together on all occasions. So wheresoever you find them in the field, that one gentle touch of nature causes them to stand together, if need be, die together. But with a black man, you can preach to him from the pulpits. You lecture from the platforms, from the byways and the hedges. The spirit of cooperation, but he will not cooperate. You talk to him gently, you try talking harshly to him, he still will not cooperate. The result is that he falls prey to those who understand themselves and walk through the world making you their serfs and slaves. You must acquire an understanding of yourselves. Look around you. See the smiling pictures of nature, the beautiful hedges, the wonderful mountains, the wonderful vegetation all around. But because of your disposition to each other, you live in suffering, in want, in penury, and in debt. You lack the gentle touch of nature, love for each other, you hate yourselves. Black men and black men, and what is wrong with you? Why have you no affection for yourselves? Could I hope the prosperity than to live in ignorance and darkness? Why select the worst of the nature? Nature never gave pain, suffering, and death to the world. It was man himself who selected death, pain, and sorrow. I wonder if I cannot inspire you to select between good and evil. Let me impress upon you once again that whatsoever your hardships may be, whatsoever your difficulties in life, they are your own selection. And so if you encourage them, if you husband them and take them to your bosom, they will abide with you. Nature will not take them away from you as Mother Nature did not give them to you. She is not responsible for your sorrows. Mother Nature represents all that is beautiful. She gave you the highest personality in the realm divine. Your sorrows are your own. If you want joy, if you want sunshine, it is before you abundantly in nature. I made a selection of sunshine, the beautiful sunshine. I made a selection to laugh with the moon, to laugh with the stars, and sing with the birds of the forest and of the wilderness, to join in the rhythmic music of the winds that sing from east to west and from north to south. Had I selected sorrow, I would have been dead a long time ago and been without that which would send me into the presence of the divine, because I would have lived not with the knowledge that is divine. We must acquire the higher knowledge of life. Black men and black women, will you get the knowledge that the white man has that causes him to be leaders and masters in the world? 
They are not gods with a peculiar source for understanding the world around them. They have only given expression to the knowledge of their humanity and been able to use and conquer all to their satisfaction and glory. And that is why they are always greater than you in every community that you find them. Isn't it strange that wheresoever the white man is found, he takes precedence over you? Why is that so? Answer that for yourselves, black men and black women. Wheresoever you come in contact with the white man, you always have to go down in defeat before him. Whether it be in England, in France, or in America, you always have to go down to the white man, and yet he has two eyes, two feet, two hands, same passions, same senses and feelings as you have. Your feet are not put on opposite sides, nor your hands turned around the other way. But it's because you fail to use your will, your knowledge, and your mental faculty to the point where you will enjoy life around you. I'm only here and not in the gutters and in the pond of despair because I use my intelligence. And I swear that no man alive shall ever use his intelligence in understanding the works of nature more than I. I shall rise as high as he ascends. I shall meet him on the same platform of mental equality and fight him till thy kingdom come because nature created us equal. I want you to make up your minds as I made up my mind years ago. Make up your mind that you will rise to the knowledge of your soul. Because of your ignorance, you cannot understand and decide between good and evil. You don't know whether you're doing right or wrong. With a greater knowledge of life, you're able to appreciate all things around you. I'm able to gather you here because I understand you. Understand your neighbor, your wife, your children, and you will be able to live in harmony with each other and get the best out of life. The early Africans were able to be the fathers of our civilization because they persevered in their object. When we hear the civilization of the Alexandrias, of the Timbuktu's, the creation of the black man in the early ages, do we realize that the civilization we now enjoy was handed down to the present century? But the black man went back to sleep and is still sleeping. We are trying to awaken you to the true consciousness of yourselves. You young black men, you young black women, may we not appeal to you knowing you as we do to turn over a new leaf, rejecting the ignorance, the foolishness, the childishness that has been your part for these many years. We've looked into your faces, you growing manhood, the rising generation, and no serious thought can we see registered on your countenance but the thought of vulgarity. I've been in your presence and my heart bleeds for you, the conduct you reflect. I've listened to your dirty language used to express yourselves when you could have expressed yourselves in good form. Can I appeal to the black manhood to turn over a new leaf? I'm ashamed of my black manhood, and what I've said to the black man, I also said to the black women. Your conduct is disgraceful. Young women whose personality spells respectability, at the least provocation, the filthy words they utter would almost make you turn and run away from them. A race that cannot conduct itself any better than that is bound to go down in defeat, is bound to go down in debt, in hell, and in degradation. Your conduct is going to destroy you. You're driving your best friends away from you. Men will not respect you because you do not respect yourself. As I come in contact with my race from both a financial and social point of view, I realize how weak we are in the essentials that make for success. You are your worst enemy. The black man goes into business and tries to do the right thing. But what do we find? He gets no support from his fellow man. They lie on him. They rob him. And the next thing you hear, he's out of business, pulled down by you, his brothers. Have no faith and are dishonest to each other. There is no love for the man in black. See how we are struggling as strangers in a foreign clime, struggling in America, in Europe, in Asia, and in Africa, where men look upon us not with love.
the government of the United States, along with the Federal Bureau of Investigation's director, J. Edgar Hoover, accused Marcus Garvey of using the U.S. mail to... All right, and we'll continue after this short commercial break. All right, this is part two. Let's continue with the stream. There we go. Defraud. Garvey was put on trial. After 11 hours of deliberation, the jury was called in by the imminent Jewish jurist Judge Mack and given a second set of instructions without their request. The gist of it was that if they had come back with a not guilty or hung jury, to remember the expense in which the government would be put, the public would have lost time, the court, the jury, and the witnesses would have to go through the entire exercise again. They went back into the jury room and 30 minutes later came back with a verdict. Justice is greater than the law. If justice was not included in the law, then the law would be of no use to us as human beings. What I was concerned with was the truth. I asked no mercy. I asked no sympathy. I asked for justice based on the evidence given in the courtroom. I later found out that the judge wanted to speed things up because he had an appointment with the International Zionist Convention in Chicago. It was also due to the fact that I had acquired my first set of papers for naturalization. In my closing statement, I told those 12 men that they were to judge a man by the testimony, by what had been brought into the case, by their judgment of what is wrong and what is right. You may condemn the body, but not the soul. It was not in their power to condemn the body. God condemns the soul. Judge me, and God will judge you for judging Marcus Garvey. The trial took five and a half weeks, and every day I had a fight with the district attorney. As we went along, I realized it was impossible for me to escape the traps that were being laid out by the press, rival organizations, personal enemies, foreign governments who were interested in me being convicted. No one, not even the absent attorney, could have fought for me as I fought for myself because he would have been risking the friendship and goodwill of the powerful influences that were aligned against me. There were several witnesses brought in by the government who probably because of a bribe would say anything the prosecutors told them to. For instance, Edgar Gray, a man with a super abundance of intelligence, could not say where he was really from. He claimed he was born in Sierra Leone, West Africa. That man was a coconut born in Antigua. Super abundance of intelligence. Could not say where he was really from. He claimed he was born in Sierra Leone, West Africa. That man was a coconut born in Antigua. Great disappeared from the UNIA with funds of the organization which he handled in my absence and for whom a warrant was out for his arrest. There was also Leo Healy. I regarded him as a friend. The very morning when he came in to testify, I met him outside, shook his hand, not knowing that he was there to testify against me. And he said I was a good man, then I was bad because I did not pay him the bills of the Black Star Line. Gary was not the Black Star Line. We were not asking his opinion of the Star Line. We were asking his opinion of Marcus Gavin. He said, understand that he believed that I was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Now he knows there ain't no black man a member of the KKK. Well, when we placed Mrs. Lawson on the witness stand, well, she wore dark glasses, obviously, to obscure the movements of her eyes and her line of stare as she tried to communicate with the prosecutor. During cross-examination, we asked her to show her subpoena. 
And she fumbled around and looked at the district attorney, lowering her head, waiting for his approval. She said she bought stock in 1917, even though the Black Star Line never sold stock in 1917. It was not in existence then. She claimed to be sick, as were two other witnesses who were able to make a quick $30 in the five minutes they spent on the stand. Prosecutor wanted to appeal to the sympathy of that jury. A young man named Cargill admitted on the stand to the dismay and disgust of the prosecutor that he was told what to say concerning the circulars and letters supposedly brought in as evidence in the case. Folks try to misrepresent me and say that I do not like white people. Some of my best friends are white. The bishop, who was my friend since my youthful days, testified. When I asked him of his opinion of Marcus Garvey, he said, doubtful. They didn't understand what he meant. I was a public man. Opinions differ. Surely some men are doubtful of me and some are not. He didn't say that Garvey was doubtful. When I asked him for his personal opinion, the question was objected to and sustained by the judge, claiming that it was an improper question. There were some white-controlled newspapers who felt that I was railroaded. I remember one of them stated that my troubles began when I stepped on the toes of France and Great Britain, and that it was a very grave question whether justice had been in my case. And after I was found guilty, they released me on $25,000 bail pending the hearing of the appeal. And while waiting, I informed the Black Cross Navigation and Trading Company, business enterprises which comprised the Negro Factories Corporation, the Black Eagles Flying Corps, dress and millinery shops, a publishing company and printing plant, a phonograph company, a restaurant, laundries, a black doll factory, a hotel, a chain of grocery stores, and the Royal African Motor Corps, a fleet of moving vans. I was in Detroit when the mandate was handed down. Having received the telegram to return immediately, I got on the first train leaving for New York. When I arrived, I was brutally seized by heavily armed men and pulled from a Pullman car at the 125th Street Station and taken to the Tombs Prison. Oh, that there are certain people who do not like me because I am black. They do not like me because I was not born in the United States. Some Irish slave master gave my great-great-grandfather's name. Garvey is not an African name. It's Irish. Garcia is not African, nor is Thompson or Johnston. They were inherited from our slave masters, English, French, Irish, or Scotch. If I was born in Jamaica, it was no fault of mine. It was because the slave ship which took me to Jamaica did not go to American ports, and that is how some Negroes in America were not born in the West Indies. Mr. Garvey, why would you want to stand up to a great republic like America? We're not fighting America. We're not fighting this great government. Then what are you doing? We're fighting hypocrisy and lies, and this we're going to fight until the bitter end. I fearful of being deported? There is no federal law whereby I could be processed against on the grounds of being an undesirable from the point of view of deportation. Yes, there is. Under Section 19 of the Act to regulate the immigration of aliens to and their residents in the U.S. I arrived in this country on March 23, 1916. Today is June 18, 1923. That law still has not been enacted. From the NAACP says, and I quote, Garvey must go which is why J. Edgar Hoover has trumped up these charges against me. Do you think it was a good idea to fire your attorney? Yes. Do you think that representing yourself could backfire on you? No, I do not. What, why not? The Constitution allows every man the privilege to defend himself, to prove his innocence before an American court of justice, and so I decided to do so irrespective of being a lawyer. District Attorney Mattock asked the jury, quote, 
Gentlemen, will you let the tiger loose? What's your reaction? Guilty men are afraid of jail. I'm as much at home in jail for the cause of human rights as I am in my drawing room. Well, what did you think of Mr. Dancy's testimony? Mr. Dancy was used by this government to testify against me. You heard him when the prosecutor asked him whether any of the letters were from the Black Star Line. He couldn't remember. He couldn't remember. Mr. Dancy can't read. My life is at stake and he couldn't remember. What happened in that courtroom was a charade. You all know he was just lying through his teeth. For a foreigner, why are you making all these waves? Even George Harris, editor of the New York News, a colored newspaper published in Harlem, referred to you as an alien. An alien is one who enters a country on his own account without any invitation and who domiciles himself in that portion of the country because of his own desire. Isn't that exactly what you did, sir? I never desired to be born in the Western world. My desire was to be born in the land of my fathers, but against my will, by stubborn protest, somebody seized me and brought me here for my silent repose in Africa 300 years ago. When they get rid of you, then what? This is only the first Marcus Garvey. There will be other cops in the fool. You met with Edward Young Clark, the acting imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan? Yes. What was that meeting like? It was rather cordial. He made it clear that they are interpreting the true spirit of every true American. What is the attitude of the Klan towards a Negro who desires to be, say, President of the United States? That he shall never be as long as there is one white man living in this country. But isn't America a white man's country? Yes, it is a white man's country because he conquered the Indian, exterminated him, and took possession of his property. I'd say the KKK is the invisible government of the United States. What do you mean? Well, the Klan represents the spiritual feeling and even the physical attitude of every white man in this land. Do you realize that such statements could get you lynched? Uh, we have five million substantial oak trees between Africa and the West Indies. We are ready for lynching party tonight if they wanted to. Le Recently, there have been several rapings of black women by whites. Was that discussed? Yes, it was. He claims that they are as much against that as any self-respecting Negro should be. But I know better. In my opinion, they are structured for the purpose of offending, suppressing, and killing Negroes. I would advise every Negro and those who aspire to leadership to form an organization similar to that of the Ku Klux Klan so that they may be able to look out for their own interests and not continue to be begging white people to do for them what they ought to be doing for themselves. Thank you very much. Part of my trial is that I was indicted along with others for conspiracy to use the United States mails to defraud in promotion of the Black Star Line Steamship Company. Yet my conviction was void of conspiracy in that I alone was convicted. If I understand my conviction clearly, I was convicted for selling stock in the Black Star Line after I knew it to be insolvent. The difference between us and the trial court is that they wanted a conviction. All the others who had more to do with the actual selling of stock than I went free because they were not wanted. I received the fullest penalty that the law could impose. Five years in the penitentiary, the maximum fine of $5,000 as provided by the law, and the entire cost of the case, a condition not generally imposed maybe once in 25 years. It was not Marcus Gaffey on trial. It was not a question of money on trial. It was the principle of a race fighting for liberty on trial. And when you attack the principles of the UNIA, Gaffey goes to war, and he remains on the firing line until he passes away or until Victor perches on the banner. I am going to prison because I dare to serve you, neglect my home, a loyal and dear woman, my wife, and myself. Above all, the things I prize most in the world is the honor of my name. I have never in all my life, to my conscious knowledge, done one mean act. 
because it has always been the policy of my life to live with honor or die for the principle. How well I have succeeded is made manifest in the sweeping consciousness that has taken hold of the race in Africa, America, the West Indies, Central and South America, Asia, and my imprisonment for so doing. The National Association for the Advancement of Certain, uh, I mean, of Colored People, and others who have combined to fight the UNIA are going to be disappointed. Because they cannot harm Marcus Garvey. Not Judge Mack, not J. Edgar Hoover, not W.E.B. Bois and his Blue Vein Society, nobody. The history of the movement is now being written. Uh, do you know what history means? History is the guidepost of a race. It is the inspiration for succeeding generations either to go forward or stand still, either to revenge or be revenged. I had a motive and a purpose. It was a crying voice from the grave that said, we have suffered for 250 years for your day and time. He expects something of you at this hour. The prejudice against us as an African people is not because of color. It's because of our condition. We must... Prejudice against us as an African people is not because of color, it's because of our condition. If we must have justice, we must be strong. If we must be strong, we must come together. If we must come together, we can only do so through the system of organization. But to fight for African redemption does not mean that you must be disloyal to any government or country wherein you were born. It is not our purpose or intention to send all black people back to Africa. No! Those of us who leave America to go settle permanently in Africa will become pioneers, pilgrim fathers of the new nation. The African race became strong in Africa, it could be strong everywhere. For 250 years, we have struggled under the burden and rigors of slavery. We were brutalized, we were maimed, we were killed, we were ravaged in every way. We are men. We have hopes, we have passions, we have feelings, we have desires just like any other race. The cries raised all over the world of Canada for the Canadians, of America for the Americans, of England for the English, of France for the French, of Germany for the Germans. Do you think it unreasonable that we, the blacks of the world, should raise a cry of Africa for the Africans? The Negro is a man. We represent the new Negro. His back is not yet against the wall. We do not want his back against the wall because that would be a peculiar and desperate position. We do not want him there. It's because of this that we are asking for a fair compromise. The Belgians have control of the Belgian Congo, which they cannot use. They have not the resources to develop, nor the intelligence. The French have more territory than they can develop. There are certain parts of Africa in which you cannot live at all. So it is for you to come together and give us a United States of Africa. We are not going to be a race without a country. God never intended it, and we are not going to abuse God's confidence in us as men. We are men, human beings, capable of the same acts as any other race, possessing under fair circumstances the same intelligence as any other race. Africa's been sleeping, not dead, only sleeping. Today, Africa's walking around not only on our feet, but on our brains. You can enslave, as was done for 300 years, the bodies of men. You can shackle the hands of men. You can shackle the feet of men. You can imprison the bodies of men. But you cannot shackle or imprison the minds of men. Dive down, black men, and dig. Reach up, black men and women, and pull all nature's knowledge to you. Turn you around and make a conquest of everything, north and south, east and west. And then when you will have wrought will, you will have merited God's blessings. And as you bow down to the white man today, so will other races bow down to you and call you a race of masters because of the superiority of your minds and your achievements. We must canonize our own saints, create our own martyrs, and elevate the positions of fame and honor. 
black men and black women who have made a distinct contribution to our racial history. So Jonah Truth is worthy of a place of sainthood alongside a Jonah Mark. Christmas Alex and George William Garden are entitled to the halo of martyrdom with no less glory than that of the martyrs of any other race. Africa's produced countless numbers of men and women in war and peace whose luster and bravery outshone that of any other people. Then why not see good and perfection in ourselves? God made man lord of his creation, gave him possession and ownership of the world. And you have been so darned lazy that you have allowed the other fellow to run away with the whole world and now he's bluffing you and telling you that the world belongs to him and that you have no part in it. I don't have to apologize to anybody for being black because God Almighty knew exactly what he was doing when he made me black. You race of cowards, you race of imbeciles, you race of good for nothings. If you cannot do what other men have done, what other races have done, what other nations have done, then you had better die. Can we do it? We can do it. If any leadership that teaches you to depend upon another race is a leadership that will enslave you. Let me say that again. Any leadership that teaches you to depend upon another race is a leadership that will enslave you. They gave leadership to our four parents and that leadership made them slaves. But we decided to find a leadership of our own to make ourselves free men. Babylon did it. Assyria did it. France under Napoleon did it. Germany under Prince von Bismarck did it. Britain under William Pitt, Earl of Chatham did it. America under George Washington did it. Africa with 400 million black people can do it. Because when the history of my suffering is complete, future generations shall have in their hands the guide by which they shall know the sins of the 20th century. I know and I know you too believe in time, but we shall wait patiently for 200 years if need be to face our enemies to our posterity. After my enemies are satisfied, in life or death I shall come back to serve even as I served before. In life I shall be the same, in death I shall be a terror to the foes of African liberty. Than me to be the real Marcus Garvey I would like to be. If I may come in an earthquake or a cyclone or a plague or pestilence or as God would have me, and be assured that I shall never desert you and make your enemies triumph over you. If I should die in prison in Atlanta, my work shall not only just begin, but I shall live in the physical or the spiritual to see the day of Africa's glory. When I am dead, wrap the mantle of the red, the black, and the green around me. For in the new life I shall rise up with God's grace and blessings to lead the millions up the heights of triumph in the colors that you well know. Look for me in the world when I are a storm. Look for me all around you. For I shall come back and bring with me countless millions of black slaves who have died in America, who have died in the West Indies, and millions who have died in Africa to aid you in the fight for liberty, freedom, and life. The world today has gone drunk and crazy with its power. And by such true injustice, fraud, and lies have crushed the unfortunate. But if I'm crushed by the system of influence and misdirected, my car shall rise again to plague the conscience of the corrupt. For this I'm happy to suffer and even die. For I will write the history for the millions that are coming and leave the posterity to reckon with the host for the deeds of their fathers. If others laugh at you, return the laughter to them. If they mimic you, return the compliment with equal force. They have no more right to dishonor, disrespect, and disregard your feeling in manhood than you have in dealing with them. Honor them when they honor you. Disrespect and disregard them when they vilely treat you. Their arrogance is but skin deep, an assumption that has no foundation in morals or in law. All right. That was the end of that section. And he said some things 
in particular, um, where back then, yeah, black women was getting raped by, you know, the European during that time, even back then, and some even today. And a lot of black men fought in regards to, you know, protect more, more women back then in regards to rape. So, you know, even the history books show that some of our sisters, because of the condition, including us, we willingly give our sexual bodies to some of these people. But as you know, during Jim Crow and all that stuff, you know, it kind of pulled back a little bit. And you know, since the European can't get it like he used to get it, he has to take it. But that's how his nature is. But next, next audio. They have sprung from the same family tree of obscurity as we have. Their histories are rooted as primitiveness as ours. Their ancestors ran wild and naked, lived in caves and in branches of trees like monkeys as ours. They made human sacrifices, ate the flesh of their own dead and the raw meat of wild beasts for centuries, even as they have accused us of doing. The cannibalism was more prolonged than ours. When we were embracing the arts and sciences on the banks of the Nile, their ancestors were still drinking human blood and eating out of the skulls of their conquered dead. When our civilization had reached the noonday of progress, they were still running naked and sleeping in holes and caves with bats, rats, and other insects and animals. After we had already unfathomed the mystery of the stars and reduced the heavenly constellation to minute and regular calculus, they were still backwards men living in ignorance and in blatant darkness. The world today is indebted to us for the benefits of civilization. They stole our arts and sciences from Africa. Then why should we be ashamed of ourselves? Remember always that the Jew in his political and economic urges are always first a Jew. The white man is first a white man under all circumstances, so you can do no less than be black by black, and then all else will take care of itself. The one inoculate you with evil doctrines to suit their own conveniences. There is no humanity before that which starts with yourself. Charity begins at home. So first to thyself be true, and thou canst not then be false to any man. Being at present scientifically the weaker race, in your homes and everywhere possible, you must teach the higher development of science to your children and be sure to develop a race of scientists par excellence. For in science and religion lies our only hope to withstand the evil designs of modern materialism. At the great church of Rome, black people the world over must practice one faith and that of confidence in themselves with one God, one aim, one destiny. Never forget your God. Remember, we live, work, and pray for the establishing of a great and binding racial hierarchy, the founding of a racial empire whose only natural, spiritual, and political limits shall be God and Africa at home and abroad. Because we are descendants of a suffering people. We are the descendants of a people determined to suffer no longer. Many men and women as black as I am, and even more so, had believed themselves white under the West Indian Arab society. I was simply an impossible man to use openly the term Negro, yet everyone beneath his breath was calling the black man a nigger. I had to decide whether to please my friends and be one of the black whites of Jamaica and be reasonably prosperous or come out openly and help improve and protect the integrity of the black millions and suffer. I decided to do the latter. There is no future for people who deny their past. My four parents, my grandparents, my mother, my father did not suffer and die to give me an education to slight, oppress, or discourage my people. 
Whatsoever education I acquired out of their sacrifice of over 300 years, I shall use for the salvation of the 400 million black people of the world. And the day when I forsake my people, may God Almighty say there shall be no more light for you. I unequivocally rejected the racist assumption of much white American Christianity, namely that God had created a black man inferior, that he had intended Negroes to be a servant class, he was a wooden draws of water. I predicated my view of man in the doctrine of Imago Dei. All men, regardless of color, were created in the image of God. From this premise followed the equality of all men and the brotherhood of all men. The biblical injunction of Acts 17.26 reminds us that he created of one blood all nations of men that dwell on the face of the earth. I was most interested in brotherhood within his own race because if Negroes are created in God's image and Negroes are black, then God must, in some sense, be black. If the white man has the idea of a white God, let him worship his God as he desires. We have found a new ideal. Because whilst our God has no color, and yet it is human to see everything through one's own spectacles, and since the white people have seen their God through their white spectacles, we have only now started to see our God through our own spectacles. We believe in the God of Ethiopia, the everlasting God, and we shall worship him through the spectacles of Ethiopia. Do you know what it is to be a man? That is to say, you must have some kind of belief, call it superstition or not. Some of us make our God the God of fire. Some of us make our God the God of water. Some of us make our God the God of elements. And others of us accept the Christian belief. Religion is something we cannot eliminate from a system or destroy in him. Therefore, it is folly for any man to go about attacking another man's religion because to him it is fundamental. You may be a Christian. You may be a Mohammedan. That is your religion. We are entitled to our own religious beliefs. Some of us are Catholic, some of us are Baptists, some of us are Presbyterians. And we deem it a right to adhere to our own particular belief. The white world has always tried to rob and discredit us of our history. They tell us that Tutankhamun, the king of Egypt who reigned about the year 1350 BC, was not a black man. That the ancient civilization of Egypt and the pharaohs was not of our race. But that does not make the truth unreal. The history of impartial mind knows that we once ruled the world. When white men were savages and barbarians living in caves, thousands of our professionals at that time taught in the universities of Alexandria, then the seat of learning. Ethiopia shall stretch forth our hands unto God, and princes shall come out of Egypt. No black man shall be truly respected until the race as a whole has emancipated itself through self-achievement and progress from universal prejudice. He has to build his own government, industry, art, science, literature, and culture before the world will stop to consider him. Until then, we are but wards of a superior race and civilization and the outcasts of a standard social system. Back in the days of slavery, race mixture and miscegenation had occurred because the African woman had no protection from the slave master. So there is no need today for black people to themselves freely continue a practice that smacks so much of slavery. One of our problems historically is that we have always been reacting, reacting to initiatives taken by other people. You cannot depend upon another race to free you. That is a basic law of human existence. I came into the Caucasian culture at a time when the white man still had a need for the black man's labor. I preached and penetrated the mass black man's consciousness to such a degree that the white man felt threatened by me being capable of commanding so much black time and attention. Whites find it hard to sit idly by and let this black man take their slave labor away, 
especially back to Africa. Who then would bear the white man's burden? Mm -hmm. I feel that my blood shall pay that remission for which future generations of our race shall be declared free. Freedom of action, freedom of opportunity are things we need, which I believe can only be gained after we shall have established an imperial power to command the respect of other races and nations. The thoughts bring vile actions to vile people living in vile times. You could not tell me in the 1920s that 80 years later, the world would be infested with neutron bombs, AIDS, drugs, homelessness, terrorism, laser beams, and visible nuclear devastation. However, were I alive today, I would still recommend the same remedy for my people's upliftment. Self-esteem, self-respect, and self-reliance in a world gone crazy with individualism. I never taught racism but rather dignity and pride in one's race. With God's dearest blessings, I leave you for a while. One love. And that's the end of that um, lecture, lecture series. Um, in reflection and conclusion, that Marx was one man like many great men of our time, from, you know, um, Booker T. Washington, to Nat Turner, to even the people from the islands, from, I think, um, Tusa Overture to Dessaline, and many other men that are not much discussed in the books, in your school systems, or any other sort. But these men did exist and changed the world, because it made the people of the world have to change because they set presence and demanded change, not by just words, but by action. So I leave you with this message that, you know, for all the people that came and go, you as a person could be that change that the world is looking for. So like always, to all melanin men, adios men or men outside America, do what you need and do in your power to make that be that change the world is expecting. This is Marcus Garvey's tribute. Thank you for listening to tonight's stream. And like always, let the chaos ring. <laughs>